You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul, episode 175. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery. I am excited for 175. I, something about like the numbers, you know, 1, 25, 50, 75, 100, and all the multiples of 25. It just feels like we made it to a really kick-ass point. And, you know, 177 is coming up, and you all know how much I enjoy the number 17 and 77 and all of the things that are 7. So today we're bringing you a super powerful episode. Now, I do happen to think that they're all super powerful, but I'm super excited for this one. And it's not just because this is the fifth time I've shot it. <laughs> it is because this is the last time I will shoot this. This is going up. Uh, the other four were, they were a bit of a hodgepodge. I have to admit, I recently went back and listened to some old episodes. I can ramble. I really appreciate all of you who've made it to 175 because there are some times where even I'm like, what in the hell is this dude talking about? <laughs> so what? I will make a commitment to seeing some of my examples all the way to the credits. It seems that I will go into some examples and then another one pops into my head and I haven't even finished the one that I was in the middle of and then I'm on to another one. And it can be a little convoluted and I even found it sometimes hard to follow. So I, again, appreciate all of you. This is really my testing ground for my information the things that I teach in the tribe, um, at addiction recovery centers, at colleges and high schools and whatnot. Like this is really the testing ground for what it is that I have built my entire business and and career around. And so I really admire you all for being my quote unquote guinea pigs when it comes to this information. Because a lot of the times it is the first time that I have sought to articulate things that I have learned, read, and applied and evaluated in my own life, and then articulate those back out into a somewhat of a controlled environment with notes and thoughts that I try to make as coherent as possible. So one of the reasons why we're reshooting this one for the fifth and final time is because I think this one's extremely important, and I want to make sure that I am, my words come out correctly, that you can hear what it is that I'm trying to say. We have spent the last handful of episodes, if you really go back and look at all of the episodes um, as as a story arc, all the way back to 170 when I hit 2001 days sober, that's when I started to take it back to basics. I introduced you to Aubrey, one of my most dearly beloved friends who has been with me on this neuro-linguistic programming ride since the beginning, and we have really put a lot of energy into focusing on what it's like when you first go to make a giant change in your life. For some of you, that is going from the contemplation and preparation mode of sobriety and recovery, stepping into the action side of the sobriety and ultimately recovery. For those of you who are longtime listeners who perhaps have already put the beast that is addiction to alcohol and drugs to bed, there are other things in your life that you are seeking to change. And all habits change the same, like not necessarily the exact same, but they follow a very similar pattern. So I will take that back. It is not the same. It is similar. Once again, thank you for your patience. But as I sort of use words that I would now deem not as appropriate, 
it's about similarities, right? We understand that habits are formed through a cue, craving, response, reward. There's the, there's the trigger, there's the cue, right, that's followed by what it is you crave, right? Then there's the action that you take to get your reward. So habits are formed by something f- sparks you, you take action, you get a reward. When it comes to releasing addiction from alcohol and drugs or sugar, food, whatever it might be, wherever you're at, there are so many of your habits that are tied into the bigger habit of using that when you go to remove the alcohol, let's just leave it at alcohol for now and assume that when I say alcohol, it means whatever vice, whatever addiction you are looking to release and move through at at this time of your life, whatever that is, I'm just going to use alcohol as standard because, again, I went back and listened to some of my old podcasts, and I'm trying to give you so many examples so you can find yourself in this storyline that it can actually come off confusing. So for the sake of this episode, when I say alcohol, it means anything at all that you consider a habit that is undesirable or bad. Uh, Let us use the word bad and good for a little bit and understand that when we discuss shifting habits for this episode, we're just going to use the word alcohol. So you're going to kick alcohol, right? But it's not just this big overarching addiction to alcohol that has created the habit of drinking every single day. All of your habits have some form of the addiction to alcohol tied into them from the way you sleep at night to the way that you brush your teeth to how you feel in the morning to what you drink or eat in the morning to how your stomach feels to how you treat people to how grumpy you are in the car ride to your workplace how you treat your coworkers all of these habits these are all habits and they're all going to be tied into your addiction to alcohol the wild thing about all of this is that when we first find ourselves drinking alcohol we don't believe or think that it's ever going to take over our lives. But slowly but surely, it becomes more and more integrated into our way of life, and then eventually it seeps into every facet of our lives. So when you go to take alcohol out, now you've got to replace it with other habits. And to boot, you have to shift thousands of your habits that have been leading you to drinking. Now they get to lead you somewhere else, not just away from drinking, but actually leading you to the place you want to go. So it's not enough that you take alcohol out of the equation if you just come home, sit on your couch, in your underwear, eating donuts, watching The Simpsons. You've heard me say that before. You are looking for a complete reboot of your life. That's why we went into physical body and environment in the last episode, because it's extremely important that you understand that the first things you can do is shift your physical body and your environment. So as you've begun over this last week to shift your physical body and your environment by following some of the ideas I've set, you can Google other ideas, you can certainly figure some out on your own. Once you realize that your environment is malleable, you can move anything around in your environment, shift it for a week and put it back later if your wife, husband, partner doesn't like where it's at. But for the time being, do whatever it takes to begin to create your new habits around what it is you want rather than what it is you don't want. You don't want to be drinking anymore. We get that. What is it that you do want? And when you start thinking about what you do want, then that's when goals come in to play. Now, one of the reasons why goals can be hard to set, especially when you're new to sobriety, is that you're seeking to set these goals as this version of you who you've been, not the version of yourself that you will be. 
So you might have seen some other people accomplish great things and think, well, I'm going to accomplish those things as well. But unconsciously, there's a part of your brain that doesn't believe that that's who you are. It knows who you've been, and that's why you loop back to the past so often. Because that's what is the known. So we get trapped in these past thoughts, even as we're learning and growing and evolving, right? Because our emotions and our thoughts have the experiences of our past. The dreams and the plans and the goals and the ambitions we have for the future, that's the unknown. That isn't solid. That is like this beautiful painting that you are creating in your mind that you now have to take action in order to actually utilize your arms and your hands to bring from your mind and paint it onto the canvas. There's an action involved. I have no doubt that plenty of people have beautiful, beautiful images in their head, but only so many of them know how to utilize their arm and their hands in order to, and a brush, in order to get that beautiful painting from their mind onto a canvas. And those are the artists that we know. Because they're the ones who learned the craft and took the time and, and took the action to get it out of their head and put it onto a canvas. You're doing very similarly in regards to other things that you want to accomplish in your life. You have to take action. And when you loop back to the past, right, to, to relive moments that you wish you'd have done differently, that you hope that you could have done better, that you keep going back over and over and over. And when you keep going back over and over and over, and you're not doing it with a therapist or with someone like me who understands the recovery coaching aspect and how you can begin to shift those pictures and change those memories in your mind, then all you're doing is just reliving the same moment the same way you've always seen it. Right Through neuro-linguistic programming, I've learned how to help you go back into your mind, shift the way that the picture looks, um, shift your perception of the picture, change where you are in the memory so that you can experience it from a different angle. There's a lot of amazing ways that we can go back into the past, not to lie to ourselves. We're not lying to ourselves. And here's the beautiful part of why we're not lying to ourselves. Every second of your existence, 2.3 million bits of data are coming to your awareness. There is a book called The One, um, is it called The One Thing? Let me pause and let me go find out. Okay, that was a fruitless endeavor. So I'll forget whatever book I, I got it from, but we, we learn it in neurolinguistic programming. And here's why you're not lying to yourself. Every second of your life, 2.3 million bits of data are flooding into your brain through your five senses. Your conscious mind only handles 126 of those bits. It comes up to 0.0006%. Now, we've talked about this on the show before. There's a lot of different authors, a lot of different scientists out there who've come up with a different number, but it generally comes down to the same 0.0006%. So you have millions of bits of data coming at you and only 126 that you can actually grasp into your conscious mind. It'd be like me just dumping uh, 2.3 million paperclips over your head every second of your life and asking you to pull out the 126 that are painted red. And that if the 126 that are painted red are, are going to be the, the quote-unquote best ones for you, the ones that will give you the most lessons, the one that will make you feel the happiest and the most content, what are the odds you're going to be able to do that? You're going to look like I Love Lucy in that old TV show she did where she's trying to do the candy bars in her living room and the candy bar thing goes nuts. It's too much for the conscious mind 
to handle. And this is why your unconscious mind filters and processes the 2.3 million bits of data. And it puts them in little file folders for you. This is how your particular activating system, your RAS, will pull out things that are a confirmation bias for what you already believe. All things that we've talked about on the show before. So when we go back into your mind and we start to um, sift through your memories, we're not lying to ourselves when we choose to see the picture differently because there was 2.3 million bits of data every second of this in, within this memory that you have, and you're only pulling out 126. So what about those other 2.2 yada, yada, yada numbers? I mean, that's a lot of millions that we're just allowing the unconscious mind to do with as it pleases. So when you go back into your past and all you're doing is remembering it the way you've always remembered it, you are just further screwing in those 126 bits. And your mind is comfortable with that now, right? It's a pattern that it has created. And in many cases, it's a negative pattern with negative emotions and negative thoughts associated with it. A bad relationship, getting fired from work, disappointing a family member because of addiction, generally these memories are not going to be grandiose. More than likely, you're remembering it through your own eyes, which makes it even more instilled into your brain as something that you've done. It's very peculiar to me that most people remember the good times in their lives from a third-person point of view, as if they're observing themselves in the good moment, whereas the bad moments they will actually be observing through their own eyes. And first person, you're going to feel it more deeply than third person where you're just the observer. It's just very interesting to me that if you want to make a bad memory less so in the moment, simply step outside of yourself in that bad memory and just watch yourself within the moment, within the event. If it was you screaming at your girlfriend or boyfriend partner, just step outside of your own eyes and watch you argue with your partner you will immediately feel um, less tension, less anxiety, less stress, because it's no longer you reliving it. It's you watching yourself and this other person relive it. So now it's more like a TV show. You're not in the midst of it. You're watching it. So when you go back and you loop constantly over and over and over, you're just further dwelling on these past negative thoughts and feelings and memories. And since your brain's primary function is to keep you alive, It is to eliminate perceived threats. Your body is in a consistent state of fight, flight, or freeze. Or sex, if you've listened to the show in the past, you know that there's the four Fs. Fight, flight, freeze, or... Beep. Right? So there's the four Fs. When you have yourself in a consistent state of stress and anxiety, right, and guilt and shame, the guilt and shame is about things you've done in the past. The stress and anxiety is about things that will happen in the future. It might be about something you've done in the past, and eventually you have to come across that person you've wronged, and then what are they going to say or do around you or to you because of your previous actions? That can be causing anxiety and stress about something that will happen because of something that you have done. And whenever you go back and you continuously screw in these bad memories, you're just creating this loop. And the more you loop, the more you loop, the more it becomes a habit to loop back to that memory, to loop back to those feelings. We're not looking to shut off our past. I didn't destroy old, drunk, stoned, coked-up Jesse. He's in the back seat watching the rest of Jesse's do with the life that he couldn't do anything with. He was in charge long enough. He didn't completely crash the car, although he did wreck three cars. He didn't get me thrown in prison, though he did get me arrested over ten times. He didn't do anything that I haven't been able to resolve in the very minimal move-through. 
I can't make everybody who hates me from the past stop hating me. They will believe and feel however they choose to feel. I have done the work that I can to make my amends for my behaviors from the past, as you will as well. But when you go back and you keep looping into the bad, 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 a relationship, you know, you cheated on your spouse and now you find yourself longing for your mistress, but that's gone now too. And you keep looping and looping and looping and looping, right? You're finding yourself back in these past negative thoughts, feelings, and actions, and it's, and it's bringing you back to the same exact result. So when you step into sobriety and recovery, some of the habits you're going to be looking to break are your own thought habits, which can be extremely difficult because unlike saying, I'm going to release 20 pounds and you just go to the gym and do a little working out and start eating healthier and getting more steps, those are physical body activities. You get your physical body into it and you know you do it consistently over the course of time and you will reach your goal. But when it comes to shifting your thoughts and changing the way that you think, there's a lot more to that because it's inside your head. So now we've got to sift through when you decided that you were a piece of shit. When was the first time somebody told you you were a piece of shit? And then that led you to acting like a piece of shit. And then somebody introduced you to alcohol and drugs and then boom, now you found your gateway. Alcohol and drugs weren't the gateway to cocaine and heroin and meth and all that. Trauma and suffering was. The way you were treated in your past, you didn't have the resources to handle it in any other way than the way that you've discovered to handle it. It's not your, it's okay. I almost said it's not your fault that you became an addict. We're going to release the word fault here. You, you did take the actions to lead yourself down the road to be an addict. It's not your fault about your trauma, but it is your, it is your choice and your responsibility to heal it. So when you're going back into the past over and over and over again, you are recreating that memory and you are further strengthening it inside your mind. It becomes something that is so bonded to you that it it becomes a part of your identity. So now we're taking the steps towards sobriety and you're at the beginning stages of releasing alcohol. And regardless if it's something else in your life, it could be releasing food. It could be releasing negative ways that you talk to people. The habit of talking negatively to people is instilled into your life and it's seeped into thousands of your habits. It's seeped into your confirmation bias. So if you think everyone's an idiot and that's why you're always annoyed by people, your confirmation bias is going to want to confirm that you think everyone's an idiot. So all you're going to see is the idiocracy. You won't see all the times people aren't idiots. You will just see the times that they are. And that might only be five times a day when somebody does something silly and idiotic in front of you. But you won't see the other 500,000 times no one did anything idiotic in front of you. But your confirmation bias will absolutely put an exclamation point over the five times you saw people act idiocracy in front of you that day. It's confirmation bias. So we go to shift ourselves into this new world where we're looking to release the past, this thing that you've been looping into. As you go to begin this change in your life, you're going to want to start creating a compelling future for yourself inside your mind. You're going to want to lock in uh, reasons and purpose and passions, and you're going to want to identify the fuel you're going to use day in and day out to make sure that you maintain your sobriety. That This is where we go back to what is the one thing you can do for one minute in order to achieve sobriety today so that tomorrow you wake up sober. So as you start to think about this compelling future, obviously goals are going to come to mind. Oh, I want to hit 30 days. I want to lose 10 pounds. I want to have a better relationship with my children. All three very powerful. 30 days sober, want to lose 10 pounds, want to have a better relationship with your children. Great. Those are perfect goals. Those are great goals. 
And goals become these road markers off in the future that you can let yourself know I am, I am getting somewhere because I'm hitting these goals. But 30 days is a long time to have to get to to make sure that you're reaching your new life. Right, you get to the thirty days. Okay, great. You're sober. Do you know that you've lost ten pounds? Have you been weighing yourself? Have you been monitoring that? Have you been having good conversations with your kids so you know the relationships healing? What is it you're doing day to day that makes sure that thirty days later you have reached those three goals? So now you have daily goals. Now these daily goals are going to be enacted. You are going to take action upon your daily goals based on the standards you set for yourself. Now, I've been reading about this in a book. Uh, it's called The uh, One More Thing, and it's absolutely fantastic. It's really hilarious that I posted something about the one thing on my Instagram, and one of my buddies sends me over a book called The Power of One More. It's called The Power of One More. I keep wanting, and I'm sure I will call it multiple times in here, The, uh, the One More Thing in this podcast. I know I will because that's how I've been referring to it in the other four episodes I shot that you will never hear. But the book by Ed Millett's called The Power of One More. And we're going to go over some of the ways that he guides uh, in his book to set standards for yourself in the next episode. For today, though, I'm going to briefly utilize some of his words and paraphrase here and there. And of course, Jesse eyes the whole thing. So we can close up this episode talking about standards. Because it's your standards that ensure your goals are met. Your standards become the actions that you take in order to achieve your goals. Now, will you reach your goals absolutely positively, 100% the way that you lay them out on day one, right? 30 days sober? Sure. Okay, that is that, right? Okay, so I didn't get high or drunk in 30 days. Congratulations, you met that goal. Did you hit 10 pounds, right? Did you, did you have the best relationship with your kids over the last 30 days? Is it exactly where you thought it would be in 30 days? Whatever you've conjured up in your head, the likelihood that you are actually going to recreate that in your life is highly unlikely. Because what's going to happen through the actual course of taking action is going to start to manipulate and influence what's happening happening externally. So when you start to eat more healthy, maybe then all of a sudden uh, you find yourself exercising more often. And next thing you know, you've stopped watching so much TV. And now because you stopped watching so much TV, you've picked up a new hobby and the hobby is playing basketball. And now you'll like to play a lot of basketball, but you know after it's done, you eat a bunch of carbs and so you're because you're burned out. And next thing you know, you only lost seven pounds after 30 days. You still did wondrous things, but you didn't necessarily reach the goal that you had originally set, but you are seven-tenths of the way there, which which is a hell of a lot better than zero tenths of the way there, which is what you've been doing previously for most of your life, setting goals and not even getting anywhere near close to them. And it's because your standards weren't driving your actions. You have standards. You've always had standards. Standards uh, become this benchmark, and this comes from the book, uh, paraphrasing, but it says benchmarks. uh, Think of your standards as performance benchmarks you're willing to tolerate. Standards are the actions that propel you toward your goals. That's coming directly from Ed Millett's book. You've already had standards. Your standards previously, your goals previously, let's start there. Your goals previously were to get drunk and high every day, right? So the standards that you had for yourself were standards that led you to the bar. 
your standards of only working night shifts, your standards of telling people that you can't go out and meet them because you want to go to your favorite watering hole and get drunk with all the bar rats that you've always been hanging out with. And so your standards were leading you toward your goals. You may not have realized or even contemplated that you had literally set for your life the goal of making sure you were always drunk and high. But I can assure you, if you've got years and years and years of addiction under your belt, that was your standard. Your, your goal was to be high and your standards were the actions you took to make sure you were high and drunk day in and day out. So you already had standards. And what you were willing to tolerate when you were in the throes of addiction is not what you're going to be willing to tolerate when you step into sobriety. So now you're going to be looking to shift your standards across a wide array of areas of your life. And remember, the standards are the actions. The standards are the people, places, and things that you're willing to tolerate being around you. The standards become your entire world. You build up your world based on these standards, and then these standards drive you to accomplish your goals. So you, when you set a goal, you then have to decide what are you willing to tolerate in your life that will either lead you toward or away from reaching your goal. Are you willing to bend over backwards and change all of your standards in order to reach 300 days of sobriety? Are you willing to bend over backwards and change your standards in order to have a fulfilling relationship with your partner? Are you willing to bend over backwards and change all of your standards so that you change jobs and go off and finally get one that actually fuels you rather than drains you? If your standards for years and years and years have just been mediocrity and just don't lose my job so I can keep getting high, so you never left the factory, you never left that you know, dead-end job, now you, now you get sober and you look around and you're like, what the frick did I do? I hate this job. I'm not exactly thrilled with my home life. You look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, wow, what have I done to my body? Wow, 20 years really whipped my ass. Now, it doesn't mean we can't heal all of that stuff, but it absolutely does mean that we're now going to have to shift our standards, right? What are you willing to tolerate? Who in your life, relationships, uh, your job, your, your family members, right? People, places, things, your parents, your friends, your church, your social media, news media, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to. Think about it. Before you were even contemplating and preparing for sobriety and recovery, would you really have turned me on? Or what about all the other self-help type, you know, quote unquote, self-help kind of podcast that you listen to and all the books that you're reading now. In the throes of my addiction, I absolutely was reading self-help books. I just wasn't doing crap with them because there was a part of me that knew the way I was behaving wasn't right. And one day in order to achieve my highest sense of self, my meant to be in life, I was going to have to walk away from alcohol and drugs. I knew it. It I was going to die. So on January 13th, 2017, whenever I called up Kaiser and said, let's do this, I began to change my standards. My standard behavior of going home after work and getting drunk on vodka and sitting around my house all on my days off just trying to recover from all the vodka and all the drugs I had done began shifting. And now my standard was go to the gym after work, come home, eat a healthy meal, keep my house clean, rearrange my room, pick up new hobbies, you know, start looking for uh, reasons why I was addicted so long, which led me down the path of psychology, which led me to NLP, which led us here to this moment right now here today, all because I changed my standards of what I was willing to to tolerate in my life. I was no longer willing to tolerate things that were not helping me. Now, I certainly am tolerating certain aspects of my life even today because they're actually leading me to the place I want to be, but not every day is fucking, you know, puppy dogs, unicorns, sunshine, and rainbows. Some days suck, but it's not sobriety that sucks. It's just life that can kick us once in a while. We can just have an off day. Our energy can shift. But when your standards are set high, 
then your goals will get met. And even a bad day won't stop that. It will not stop it. You might have a bad day, a two, three, but if you've set your standards of what you're willing to tolerate, after a couple days of being down in the dumps, you're going to be like, you know what? I just got to go to the gym. I just got to get a workout in. I got to go get some steps. I got to drink a smoothie. I got to do something with my physical body. Let me get out of this apartment. Let me get out of this house. Let me take a day off from work. You'll do something, shift your body, shift your environment, and you begin to shift your life. Like Sean T likes to say in those insanity videos um, on the Beachbody website that I was using whenever the pandemic had us all locked up. When you take control of your body, you take control of your life. So when you set these standards for yourself, these standards drive you towards your goals. And if you're not reaching your goals, then your standards aren't set high enough. You have not influenced and manipulated your standards according to them reaching your goals. If your goal is to lose 10 pounds in a month and you only go to the gym one day a week and you're still eating burgers and french fries three meals a day, your standards aren't high enough. If your goal is to not only just be sober, but to really embrace sobriety, build a community in sobriety, be involved in sobriety, and you only go to one meeting a week and you don't get a sponsor, you don't get a mentor, you don't get a coach, you don't get somebody externally from your own mind in your own home to talk you through and walk you through all the different, you know, infinite possibilities that sobriety provides, you have not set your standards high enough. If you get unmotivated, maybe even lazy, and I do not like that word lazy because I don't think people are lazy. I think they're uninspired and therefore they don't motivate themselves. But we'll say lazy for the sake of this show because we're already using good, bad, and alcohol so to define all addiction. So let's just ride, let's just ride or die on utilizing words today we wouldn't normally put in the places that we are. And we'll go with lazy. If you're lazy and you just set your standards based on the people, places, things, media, groups, social media, television shows that you watch around you, and then those things have been the same things that you were doing when you were locked in your addiction, you're not even trying. If you sit around and watch television for 10 hours on your day off, that's not trying in your sobriety and recovery. And I get meeting where you, where you're at. If you're at day one and you're like, dude, I am just detoxing off some meth right now. Please, Lord, stop chastising me. I'm not busting your ass. I'm just simply giving you an idea of what your future is going to hold. Lots of change, lots of awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. And as you release the looping from the past and you begin to start building up this compelling future and you begin to start really setting down some well-formed outcomes of a life that you intend to live, goals are going to come from that. And the standards are what drive you to your goals. If you're somebody who slept till noon and you had to be at work at three o'clock and you think that you're going to get up and you're going to go work out and you're going to make a couple phone calls and really connect with the community and you're going to really make some time to journal or meditate or work out or whatever it is, but you only give yourself three hours to do that in before you have to be at work, your standards aren't high enough. Your standard from now on should be getting up at, let's say, 9 a.m. and going to bed at, let's say, midnight or two in the morning so you get seven hours of sleep before you're up at 9 a.m. That's what standards are. If your standard was sleeping all day and now you want to start actually doing something with your life, the standard you set of sleeping all day now gets to be erased and in its place comes getting up at a well-determined hour in the morning so that you have time to accomplish the things that you want to accomplish. If you want to lose 10 pounds, your new standard is not eating burgers three days a week or three meals a day. It's eating chicken and some, I don't know, healthy foods. 
I have a whole class I teach on that. So I just don't want to get into it. We've already discussed that in previous episodes. If you want to have connected relationships, and in the past, the moment somebody said something to you, you just started screaming at them because your emotional intelligence was a little off and you felt threatened and they triggered you and now you're remembering how your dad or mom used to call you a piece of shit. Now they've made you feel less than, and this has actually happened to me many times recently. I'm still digging through all this stuff. But whenever I'm told that I'm wrong, not necessarily like, you know, the capital of Moscow is Bashlogovia, right? Which is not what it is. It's, first of all, the capital of Moscow. Moscow is the capital of Russia. But the point, or is it St. Petersburg? Who cares? Not the point of this show. The point of this show is that I don't care when I'm wrong about things that are like intelligence-based. I don't like it whenever I feel wrong about leaving paint on a paintbrush and not realizing that the person who, let, who lent it to me was going to get upset if paint was on the handle of the paintbrush, right? It's like, I didn't realize I was going to upset you so greatly over paint on a paintbrush. And now I'm like a little child being, you know, chastised by my dad for getting his screwdriver dirty, you know, and it re-triggers all that. So now I've got to go back and I've got to clean that out. I've got to realize that, you know what, life can humble me sometimes in the future. I'll be more present. Don't borrow tools from that person. Go get your own tools, be more self-sufficient, whatever it might be. I can work through that. But if my standard is to not scream at the person the moment that they start to get down on me about getting paint on the on the paintbrush, it's up to me to set a standard wherever I can breathe in deep, take a beat, and not get upset. Not let my past memories affect my present behavior. That's on me. And it can be on you now, too. And that's a standard I set for myself. I mean, I hit it out of the ballpark every single time I feel like someone's coming down on me, right? It's like, okay, but you know what? No doubt life will humble me again tomorrow. There'll be another opportunity for me to respond rather than react. But it's these standards that drive me to my goal to have heartfelt, communicative, and, and loving relationships. I can't control what the other person does. I can only control what I do. They will be who they be. I can decide whether I'm willing to tolerate their behavior anymore And that could lead me to having a conversation where it becomes like, hey, it's either this, that, or the other, right? And you might have to have those tough conversations. Uh, A social media person named Gary Vaynerchuk, who I used to listen to quite frequently, says that, you know, he's like, I'm not telling you that letting go of toxic people in your life is going to be easy, especially if they're friends and family members that you've had in your life for years and years and years. But if you want to be your highest sense of self, Sometimes you have to do the hard things in order to make sure that who's around you is actually fueling you and not draining you. Now, I paraphrase most of that, but he absolutely said sometimes you're going to have to let go of toxic people and it can be tough. I'm not saying it won't be tough. I'm not saying that it will be tough. It will be whatever it is and only you will know what that experience is like. But when you set your standards higher, the people who are willing to meet you at those standards will keep around in your life or they'll try to drag you back down into the bucket. Don't let yourself get dragged back down into the bucket. When you put a bunch of crabs in a bucket and one of them starts trying to crawl out, inevitably a crab will yank that cr- the, the, the crab that's almost free over the side of the bucket. He'll yank him back in the bucket because he's like, no, we're all in the bucket. We don't want to know freedoms on the other side of it because then we'll have to question why we're still in the bucket. So as long as we all stay in the bucket, we can all just be comfortable in the bucket. Well, you don't want to be in the bucket anymore. And some people might try to lift you up out of it and help you out so you can get on the other side. They'll grab your arm and your hand. They'll give you assistance because life is awesome on the other side of the bucket. And other people, they may not want to tolerate the new you. And they might try to drag you back down into the bucket. And your standards are going to dictate whether you let that person continue to drag you back down to who you used to be. Or if you turn around and say, I'm sorry, but this isn't working for me anymore. I'm going to have to take a step back. My standards dictate that I want people in my life who lift me up and fuel me. 
I w- yes, you want to be challenged. Just because somebody pushes your buttons doesn't mean that they're the villain. They could just be challenging you to step even deeper into your emotional groundedness, to even more fully understand what's going on inside you. These standards are the actions that you take that will make that they will damn near guarantee that you fulfill your goals to a very high, very high potential. Will it look exactly the way that you've manifested in your mind? No. And you probably won't want it to. Because as you begin to grow, your external world will begin to influence you. You'll begin to influence your external world. And what you thought was your goal on day one of sobriety may not be at all what your goal is on day 30 or 300 or 3,000. But that's okay. The best of the best reevaluate their goals on a regular basis, not just once a quarter, once every half year, once every you know New Year's Eve. And you already know my feelings on, on um, New Year's resolutions. You want to reevaluate your goals and make sure that your standards are driving you towards your goals. And when you find that your standards aren't driving you towards your goals, look no further than yourself looping back into your past and allowing yourself to tolerate crap you used to tolerate when you were a drunk and high all the time and you're not that person anymore. It's time to step in to the newest version of yourself. Whether you're day one or day 1,000, it's not too early to start thinking about who do you want to be. Start going back over the standards you set for yourself that made sure you stayed a drunk and start reevaluating how you can shift those standards to start leading you towards sobriety. Set awesome goals. Embrace awesome goals. Love awesome goals. Today, I'll leave. I'll definitely leave you on this. Today, I'm walking around Fox News. Today, I'm walking around Fox News. Today, I'm walking around the gym, and on one of the TVs is Fox News. Now, it's absolutely inconsequential that it was Fox. It could have been any of the any of them. So, just let Fox News go right out of your head because it has nothing to do with politics and everything to do with the fact that a story came up on screen and it had uh, a big question. It says, dream big with a big question mark. And the byline underneath it said, could dream big advice do more harm than good? And And then it said, a study says dreaming big may lead kids to disappointment. And of course, if dreaming big leads kids to disappointment, dreaming big will lead adults to disappointment. But here's the thing. What we're not taught in schools What we're not taught by this world enough is that dreaming big is awesome. Dream big. If it wasn't for dreaming big, Henry Ford wouldn't have come up with the assembly line to make cars in everybody's garages. Um, Einstein and Tesla and um, who's the guy who um, did the bulb? Edison. Um, You know, Einstein, Edison, Tesla, some of the best inventors of our time. If they weren't dreaming big, we'd still be living in the dark ages. Air conditioners and refrigerators and light bulbs wouldn't even exist. Dreaming big is awesome. What those people did differently was they took action. And whenever it didn't look or come out the way they wanted to the first time, Edison tried a thousand more times to get that damn light bulb right. Dreaming big isn't the problem. Taking action is the problem. People don't take action. They try something once or twice. Well, that didn't work for me. Habits don't get formed once or twice. Alcohol tasted like piss the first couple of times I drank it. Didn't stop me from going back to that well. Cocaine made my brain hurt, made my nose bleed the first time. Did not stop me from going back to that well. Oh, but eating healthy and walking 10,000 steps a day, I didn't lose seven, seven pounds in seven days, so I'm fuck this, I'm out of here? What is, that is ridiculous. Dreaming big isn't the problem. Taking action consistently, that's the solution opportunity. Set 
your goals. Know your goals and then set and make your standards high enough that those goals are damn near impossible not to achieve. Knowing that they will shift, but I promise you, getting to a goal and looking around and being like, you know, it's not a 17-room mansion, but it is a pretty dope house, is way better than standing there and letting a year pass by and you're still in the same spot, just another year older. Looping back in your past holds you back in your past. Release the past. Call me up if you need help with that. Setting your standards to guarantee that they meet your goals. That's what you're looking for. Again, guarantee you're going to meet them exactly? No. But perfection doesn't exist. Progress does. And as you progress, utilizing your standards, your goals will begin to take shape. And when you get there, I can assure you, you'll be absolutely doing backflips. And when you get there, it will actually look exactly like you wanted it to look. Because then you have created it. In your mind back then, it was just imagination. Imagination can only lead to success when creation and action are taken. And your standards will lead you there. Next week, we're going to go over your top 10 ways of setting your standards so that you can begin to benefit your life in new and amazing ways. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine Glow On. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.